0: if you're someone who wants to build the kind of life you don't need to escape from. I'm your host, Nadia, a black woman who has spent way too much time trying to fit into a number of spaces that weren't and still aren't meant for me. But that's no longer my ministry.
1: It's so funny, I, I keep talking about like, when I first came here, I didn't have a Napoleonic complex because yeah. i'm not the shortest person when i grew up there, there are people who are like shorter than me
0: i love that, that <laughs> statement you were kind of just like like you paused almost like the realization that there are people who are shorter than me
1: yeah but then but then i got here and I, like people were like oh you're such a shorty you know like kind of sort of calling out this reality of there are you're you're normally shorter than most people here yeah and i'm like i, I don't
0: that. yeah <laughs> you don't have short energy though you never did you always had big dick energy <laughs> <laughs> i remember going PT. to uh the karaoke we went to a karaoke oh night my God. and I, I think it was isaac was like kim's got big dick energy and i was like i've never heard a statement that better ex- shares the sentiment of my flattered. friend
1: <laughs> i am beyond flattered that isaac said
0: that oh it was so good let's Let's get started. This is going to be great. The first thing I do with every guest that comes on the show Mm -hmm. is I just ask them how are they feeling right now Mm. in their mind and their body.
1: Mm. I'm feeling very aligned as I usually do when I travel Mm -hmm. and also connecting with a friend. So it is like, you know, I'm in a good place right now.
0: Awesome. Yeah. What do you mean when you say aligned? What are you feeling aligned with?
1: That I feel good about being engaged in the moment. Yeah. Uh, It sounds woo when I say that, but I think that, you know, oftentimes you could just be sort of lost in your thoughts uh, when you're doing something. Yeah. Or, you know, you could be uh, wishing you were somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am not feeling those things at this moment. I am exactly where I like to be.
0: Yeah and you know it's it feels good. That does feel good. I feel very similar about yeah. this like I feel very present for this conversation which is nice because I actually and I have done some interviews for the pod mm-hmm. where like when I when I'm jumping on I've jumped on from a different context and I don't feel like I'm fully settled. Yeah. But because we've gotten to like spend some time in the sun, eat some food together, like I feel like I'm very grounded Mm. in this moment. So that's great because I can't wait to hear (laughs) what's been on your heart over whatever amount of time. That's going to be open-ended. This is how we do things. (laughs) First things first, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? Just tell us a little bit about who you are in your core.
1: So my name is Kim Castillo, or actually... Back in the Philippines, where I was born and raised, you would say Castillo. It's pronounced differently. I am an immigrant to the United States. So the Castillo, as a consequence, was like being surrounded by uh, Latinx people. Mm-hmm. Just like that's how they would read my name. So I've just ad- uh, I've embraced that and made that easier for people to say.
0: <laughs> that makes sense. Because I always... Like your, the pronunciation, I was like, that's really interesting. Yeah. Because that doesn't really... In my mind, I wouldn't associate Filipino with Latinx community. Yeah, yeah. And so when I heard your last name at the first time, I was like, I wonder where she's from when I hadn't met you yet. Yeah, no, for sure. Um,
1: it, it is pretty typical for uh, Filipinos to be uh, associated with Latin culture.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and usually people will attribute that to being colonized by Spain. Mm. Um, and I have thoughts about that. We can <laughs> dive later on that. but. So that's my name. That is the name that was given to me by my mother and father. I grew up in the Philippines. That's a really big deal for me because like we were talking earlier, I was a fully formed person by the time I got here. So I moved here in my early 20s. Yeah. I had life experience before that, before getting here. So I've experienced sort of the culture shock of living in the United States for the first time and experiencing sort of the very different realities of both worlds and also getting to know and sort of planning my roots and just getting my feet wet and swimming in the ocean
0: yeah. of this world.
1: You know, I, I carry a lot of stories. I'm obviously, you know, I've, I've carried stories that I've experienced in my own lifetime
0: mm.
1: and then you know, there's the ancestral story as well. Yeah. Like uh, in my upbringing in particular, uh, there's a lot of focus in the matrilineal line. Mm. I could tie myself back to my mother's story and then my grandmother's story, and then her mother's story. I mean, I think I can go back four
0: generations, but past that's a little hazy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, do your best, I mean. (laughs) This is like one of the things I feel like listeners will catch on really quick. The way that you will humble yourself in a moment. And I'm like, girl, we just sat here for the last 15 minutes while you, in alphabetical order, named most of the countries in Africa. And you're like, yeah, I think I've got a few. And you're just like, no, your brilliance is beyond what you're recognizing. Go for it. I appreciate that. Uh, But yeah, you have so many stories from so many different generations of your people
1: yeah for sure and there's the historical stuff to what it's like to grow up in yeah the philippines very specifically Mm -hmm. it's such a specific experience yeah and you know we talked a little bit about how how i differentiate myself at times from filipino americans like filipinos who grew up here yeah and there are points of similarities and there are definitely points of like there are some experiences that I've had Mm -hmm. that I'm not sure you can relate to. Yeah. Well, I think ultimately it's this feeling of, I wish you knew. Mm. Uh, I wish it for them. Yeah. You know, Uh, because there's a lot of richness there. There's some good and bad. Yeah. For sure. You know, just being much closer to experiencing authoritarianism, corruption. Like those are the bad stuff yeah you know i don't want that for people (laughs) you know you don't you don't want to be closer to poverty you don't want to be closer to you know just the the harshness of life uh, in a country like that um and And some of the good things the good things yeah obviously is just the feeling of um the inevitability of community
0: yeah
1: Uh, it's a lot more close-knit Mm-hmm. I always tie it back to my friendships back home. Yeah I just, it, it, it just clicks in so easily with people back home, and uh, sort of life is facilitated around these communities.
0: Yeah And
1: here it's very, a very individualist society. And so if you grew up Filipino in America, you can see that almost like that dichotomy mm-hmm. of realities. That mm. inside your little Filipino community is very close-knit. And then you have a very individualist
0: yeah. society. Yeah.
1: So, so there's there's tension. There's always tension. So So now my feeling about it is like, well, so back in the day, I was much more selfish and much more focused on how I felt, which was I felt isolated. I felt like mm. no one could relate to me. And mm-hmm. I felt that, you know, I wish we could we could talk without me explaining things, the contextualizing things. Yeah,
0: which I don't think is selfish. I think that's the byproduct of actually being isolated. Yeah. Right. Like like, you weren't just like isolated in your mind. You really were somewhere where you didn't relate to majority of people in the area. Yeah. Yeah. And and, like in a completely different area than home. Yeah. For me personally, I find like the richness of how you can describe that experience very, humbling because like i haven't had to do that in my life i haven't had Mm -hmm. to move to an entirely different country where like most most of the people you engage with i would say probably are not from home because you're also not from like a major area right Mm -hmm.
1: yeah yeah i'm so i'm from outside of manila you know people who don't know any better will ask like you know are you from manila (laughs) (laughs) straight up (laughs) (laughs) wait uh it's, it's like asking someone from from Africa, like...
0: If you're from Africa.
1: If you're, like, yeah, like, it's African, therefore, you're from Africa. But, yes. like, which part of Africa are we talking about? Essentially, when people ask
0: me, do you speak African? <laughs> and it's like,
1: I don't know do how to... Do you mean to,
0: Afrikaans? i like, I don't know how to go into how many... Well, isn't it, like, South Africa, they speak Afrikaans? Afrikaans, Afrikaans. they do. Yeah. Okay. That's not what they're asking. But that's not what they're <laughs> I love that. I love the sophistication of the follow-up. <laughs> but I'm not usually met with that kind of... <laughs> They're like, no, you know, like Africa, the country. Uh-huh. And then you have to go in, like, it's like, there's so much going wrong in this conversation, I can't pull you out. Yeah. So, is that similar <laughs> to being asked, <laughs> you're from I mean, Manila?
1: Yeah, it's, yeah, I can't pull them out of that one. I brush it off. It's, yeah, it's much more, uh, it's much more labor for me to explain.
0: Yes. But when I do, do
1: you know, for people that I, I you know, I want to take time to, Uh, get to know and want them to get to know me equally, like, I will explain, which is that, you know, I'm from, I'm a very proud Mindanaoan. That is the name of the region I'm from. I'm from a city called Davao. I speak a dialect called called Bisaya. And so, you know, there are these nuances to my identity (laughs) that I would not strictly identify as from Manila, speaks Tagalog, yes, I speak Tagalog, but that's not not the only thing I speak. Right. So, you know, if I explain to you what I can speak, you would just check out. Right. (laughs) You can only go so far in...
0: They have to be really... How far in the the rabbit hole
1: do you want to go with me? Right.
0: I'm going to be telling you about a lot of things you've never (laughs) identified with and have never heard of before. Yeah. Like this is like we've got a good foundation so far. That's it. (laughs) I'm sorry. We have like three segments to get through. So (laughs) the next segment is what we call some jazz music. I know. Now we're going to first segment of the podcast called "So You've Been Told." In the first season, I did a lot of pulling quotes, rapid firing, and getting reactions. But in this season, I've kind of moved into topics that people might have misconceptions about or there's a myth to unpack more so it's like we just dig into a subject area and so I was thinking if you're comfortable with I noticed recently on your Instagram or somewhat recently Mm. you had posted about becoming a citizen Mm. American citizen and I think people don't really understand how difficult that process is like I think a lot of people who are not familiar with our the process of becoming a citizen in the U.S., not born. She's like half of my family, yeah. became citizens. Some of us were born citizens. My mom will never become an American citizen, but that's a story for another time. Yeah. And so I would love to hear from you about your experience really debunking the myth that becoming an American citizen is easy. Mm-hmm. And what exactly did you have to go through, both personally and like process-wise, to to get to this milestone? Wow, okay. So
1: I'll... Maybe start from the story that I carry from my mom, which is that um, as a teenager, my mom decided to come to the United States Mm -hmm. and start working here as a nurse. Yeah. And what's interesting, she had a very completely different career back home. She was, you know, she worked in the bank. She was a CPA. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then she changed careers because... You know, the healthcare system here needed nurses. So yeah. a, lot of Filipina, a lot of nurses from the Philippines. And um, she retired from her banking job. Dang. Got bored. Wow, okay, we love and, this. And then decided to study nursing. And then came to the U.S. at first as a tourist. She's a citizen now, so she's good. She's in Decor- Everything's good and safe. Everything's, we can use this. Yeah, we can use this. But this is a very common story. So she came here as a tourist... Probably worked under the table for a while. Saw the potential of being able to work here, send dollars back home. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, like that, um, that was sort of additive to like my quality of life back home. Mm. You know, Uh, I mean, both my parents were professionals back home, but we were you know, we were middle class. We were getting by. And um, really the aspiration there is like when somebody gets to make more money, like, she was a straight-up professional and she go in, goes into being another profession here. Yeah. Which, by the way, is treated like shit, unfortunately, in you know, the U.S. 100%. So, so she goes into a different profession to be able to sort of augment our lifestyle back home. Yeah. So she did that throughout my teens and even throughout college. Didn't have my mom. Around and that whole time she was just, you know, going through the loops of getting a student visa so she could stay longer and then converting that into sort of a uh, being, being able to stay in the US, married an American, mm-hmm. extended her stay. Yeah. And then afterwards, like getting the green card. And then the green card sets in motion like her ability to petition children
0: yeah. uh, into
1: the US. And so at this point, I'm in college. Wow. And this process of petitioning someone can take years. Mine took about, I think, six years. Wow. So my brother was a little, who's a bit younger than me, got here a little earlier. He was brought to the U.S. as a minor. I was already, like, above 18 by the time that, you know, things were sort of... uh, closer for me to come to the US. So my mom just kind of waited out until I was in my 20s. Mm. Uh, and practically how it works is that, so I'm in my 20s, right? <laughs> I basically resisted coming to the US. I was like, yeah. I have no intention of coming to the US. I love my life here. I This is all the life I know, I'm never gonna leave. And then, boom, a letter comes and the letter says, you have to show up to this interview. Okay. Uh, at the embassy, the U.S. embassy in Manila, which is outside where I was living. <laughs> God damn it, Manila. <laughs> it's a plane <laughs> ride away. I had to show up to this interview and convince an immigration officer that I should be, you know, immigrating to the United States. And I was like a different mindset at this time. Right. I'm like, I don't want to be in America. <laughs> but I'm like, okay, you know, my mom sacrificed so much.
0: Yeah. Uh, sacrifice is a very loaded word. But that is the word that you held on to as a young person.
1: Yes, that's the word that you are taught. Yes. You know, that's what they teach us. That's what they, you know, the myth Mm -hmm. of sacrifice. So I went and I show up to this interview and literally you get there at five in the morning. And then my interview didn't happen till four o'clock. In the afternoon. So I was there all day. Oh my God. I just remember being like back and forth in the bathroom, being so nervous about this and like just feeling like the hot water from Mm. the faucet. And by the way, hot water from the faucet is not uh, a Philippine thing. This is a. Because you're in the embassy, right? Right, right. This is like an American thing. You're in a fancy American embassy where there's hot water running from the faucet.
0: Right. Wow. So I was just like... So it's like you're already experiencing something (laughs) out of the norm.
1: Yeah. So I'm like washing my hands, so nervous, talking to like my seatmates, like, you know, about Mm. their stories. I don't remember what we were talking about, but basically we were just like all on the same... We were on the... The same boat to China, in this case in the US. So I get there, and literally, I thought, like, you know, I prepared all these answers to essay questions about why you want to be in an America and all that stuff. And all the <laughs> consulate ever asked me was, like, just details about, like, what did you study in school? Okay. Um, where does your mom live? What does your mom do? All right, 10 minutes later,
0: you're approved. So you spent all day there <laughs> just to tell them. Essentially what you could have sent in an email. Yeah. Yeah. This is a meeting that could have been an email. This, which is what you absolutely can't say at the end of the interview, but what I wish you could have given them feedback I, on.
1: I would like to give you some feedback. What's your suggestion some box? Feedback. Uh, anyways, so that was it. And then like a month later, you get your pass you know passport with your visa on it and mm-hmm. it says you have to leave by so this was i had my interview in november mm-hmm. it was like some like early november and i had to leave the philippines in january
0: wow yeah just relocate your whole life yeah in a month yeah time.
1: so i had to like pack up the apartment I had a nice little two-story apartment back home. Yeah. Three bedrooms, of course. (laughs) Dang. Well, anyways, that's another story. But yeah, just pack up my life. I remember like packing one suitcase full of books. And then my brother looked at me and he was just like, what the hell are you doing? (laughs) Wow. He was like, this is the stupidest thing you're doing all right okay we got no, some haters he, he was he was like basically like that's like X's baggage <laughs> <laughs> he's being practical yes. he's like he- you don't want to spend money for X's baggage because you want to bring all these books you can get all these books there like, it's hard to part with books though it's so hard so i just kept the ones that i really wanted to hold
0: on to yeah i
1: still have them but in a nutshell like i decided to come to the u.s with one suitcase okay so all that life i had to like filter out things that were not non-essential yeah and kept the ones that you know strangely enough the stuff that i kept were very odd indeed like a school id <laughs>
0: <laughs> well i mean <laughs> your identity and identity yeah. at the time
1: yeah i was it was very like So I just try to pack it all in this one suitcase, and I—that's what I came came with to America. What's one of the books you had? A Filipino book, actually. Yeah. Yeah. An anthology of Mindanao stories. Oh wow. Yeah, but it's got like poetry and short stories. Wow. It just like connected me to back home.
0: Yeah. So it's like that's not. (laughs) Oh, you're like yeah, just you know, just a few random things, but it's like you have all of these things that are deeply like rooted in yeah. home.
1: Yeah, it's like a connective tissue, you know? Yeah. It's funny when I got here and you know, like my mom like picks me up from the airport, takes me to Red Lobster. <laughs> <laughs> Cause she knows those Cheddar Bay Biscuits. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, you know, I order an entree and I was not used to the serving sizes. Yeah. It was just like massive, you know, I was like used to like teeny tiny servings and all of a sudden like, I couldn't finish but anyway, so so that was the the road to here. Sort of a decade later, if you have a green card, which I did, luckily because of my mom, she had gone through sort of the hoops. Yeah. Otherwise, I would have done all of that myself if if I were to make that decision. But uh, she did it for me. And when I got here, I had a green card. I had a social security number. Okay. Uh, a lot of immigrants are not lucky enough to have that from the get go. Yeah. So I. I had all those things and after 5 years you're supposed to be able to apply for your citizenship. And I took my time firstly because I was still on the fence about becoming an American citizen. Yeah. I was still questioning whether or not I see my life here permanently. And so getting it
0: would be a means to make it easier. Yeah,
1: and you know, actually when I posted that photo, there were people who asked me like so, you've decided.
0: Yeah, you know, like yeah. so, you you've
1: decided your life is there. Like kind of that, which is,
0: once direct. Uh, yeah, <laughs> very direct way of addressing <laughs> it, but also like lovingly rude. Right, and it, I mean it's true though, because like you know, different people. It's like, different. Getting your citizenship for different people mm-hmm. is a choice between your culture and another culture, unless you can have a dual citizenship, unless like, so like even my mom refuses to become an American citizen because she doesn't want to let go of her Canadian citizenship. Ooh, I see. And so like she she would feel, I think she feels personally that she'd be betraying her, all of her sense of home. Yeah. And so like for somebody, like somebody that's close to you, who's seeing this transition, it's like, okay, so you've made the choice.
1: Yeah. well, There were so many, you know, events that took place to get to that choice. Right. Like, the freedom I've experienced being here, especially because I'm a queer person. Yeah. You know, and growing up queer in the Philippines is, or like, experiencing queerness in the Philippines is not the same as being here. Like, here I'm just totally, I mean, relatively free. Yeah. Compared to back home. Right. You know. Dating's a lot easier too. Yeah. So, like, back home, you're just like trying to guess who's gay. <laughs> right. Can't openly <laughs> talk about it. Yeah. And then you're either, you know, it's very binary. It's very, you know, so there are so many constraints about being queer back home. Yeah. And when I got here, the ease in which I could do the things I wouldn't normally do back home, you know, was a big plus for me for mm-hmm. living here. The other thing that was a big plus for getting here was just the mobility uh, of, you know, uh, of my career. Yeah. As far as my career. Like, there are many people I know back home who are still struggling in their careers. Yeah. Or, you know, are just going to work that one job for a very long time. Or, you know, there's so many constraints. Yeah. Being in a developing country. I mean, things are sort of getting better for some. But... You know there are certain privileges associated to that, but here it's like it's a mixture of luck and
0: very it, hard work.
1: Yeah, I guess I, I yeah I'll give credit to myself for working hard. You know I I, I really did work hard. Yes,
0: yeah, <laughs> and you're very good at what you do. I feel like <laughs> like you work very hard. You know you know what you're doing. You self educate. You read. You are invested. in the type of work that you do at least what i've seen of you and i've worked with you and so there is that but what you're like but i understand what you're saying with like there's only so much you could do back Mm -hmm. home as far as your career goes there's a lot more opportunity to move a lot faster here yeah and get more experience a different variety of things yeah
1: and i had work experience back home and imagine like whatever you know whatever job i've had back home my first paycheck working in disneyland blew my mind
0: Oh, right. I was
1: just like, I I worked in food service. This was my first job in America. I was a chocolatier.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, I
1: wore wore a nice little bow tie. That's kind of cute. Yeah. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Like Disney cast. So my first time in Disneyland was backstage where they were like bringing
0: us to work for the first time. That's so, (laughs) that's not my first experience (laughs) at Disneyland. (laughs) We've had such different lives. <laughs> but wow. And so your first paycheck was a lot more than what you would have made like, back home.
1: Yeah. like, And I was just making $10 an hour at that point. Or like, I think it was less than 10 bucks
0: an hour. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I'm
1: like... <laughs> but I, you know, honestly, it was just like, it blew my mind getting that first paycheck. I was very motivated. At first, I thought it was like, I was motivated by money, but I, was, I, I couldn't last that long there because... You know, obviously, I felt that uh, there there was so much more I could do than scoop ice cream and make chocolate. And (laughs) although that
0: sounds great,
1: (laughs) and deal with like the OC moms and stuff.
0: No, (laughs) I I feel like dealing with anybody at Disneyland would not be (laughs) worth it, even if you get to scoop ice cream. Yeah,
1: I I would like this milk steam at two hundred Fahrenheit. I'm like, what? I'm sorry, what?
0: What a specific need you have right now? <laughs> what, what for? <laughs> that is interesting. So, you, I mean, like, that is experiencing quite a bit more freedom, mm-hmm. more money than you were used to back home. So it was, there were things obviously ha- changing for you mm-hmm. about your decision on whether you wanted to stay here or go yeah. back eventually.
1: Yeah. And also just, you know, like, building a life here. Yeah. Having life experience and having been around the states, like being able to travel around, being able to experience going back home from having worked here, and you know how it is, when you like spend those dollars in a developing
0: country, it's just... You can (laughs) literally throw money at people, like... Like I want to
1: feed the village, right? literally, like please let me feed the village, and and not bat an eye. Yeah,
0: honestly. It goes a lot further there, it yeah. goes a lot further there. But it's, so. it feels good to be able to give
1: back, and you know, and, and give back to yourself too, you know, yeah. like those, those things you weren't able to, so, so there are rich people in the Philippines, mm-hmm. right? I've seen how they live, and I'm like, I didn't grow up that way, I was not a rich Filipino yeah. by any means. And then to go back home and be like,
0: hmm, I'm rich. rich." (laughs) (laughs) I guess I'm rich. I mean, like, it is a milestone when you reflect back to being a kid and seeing those people who are rich, and you're like, so now I'm there. (laughs) Now I've I've arrived.
1: I can have all the things. Yeah, but there were st- like there were things like I couldn't get. But you know, we, we were getting by. But there were things I couldn't get, like those shoot, like those shoes. Yeah. You know, like I'm not gonna have those. Like somebody had a fancier phone or whatever.
0: Yeah. Like, and then what? So like when people are like, okay, you've made this choice. What like propelled you to actually say like, yes, now I would like to become an American citizen.
1: Okay, so for me it was like I, I waited so long. <laughs> Yeah, that I was on my 10th year and literally my green card was about to expire. So Mm. you were either going to renew your green card or apply for citizenship, which both are processes like both are processes. (laughs) And I decided to pursue the citizenship route. There's also another story in which I was like, I had to wait it out because I had I had this issue with my ex. And, you know, there were some legal matters I had to settle first. Before I was able to actually pursue a citizenship. Yeah. So you know, for every uh, immigrant, you know, any any entanglements with the legal system, right, is a risk to your chance to becoming a citizen.
0: It's like constantly having to worry that any wrong thing could yeah. keep you from being able to live in this country long term. Yeah. Because if your if your green card was about to expire.
1: Yeah. I mean so the other reality is that you know you experience racism as a brown person in America so you're much more susceptible to having entanglements with the law
0: 100% Yeah you're just like a moving target Yeah Yeah and yeah and in living in a place like Washington <laughs> where you just you just stand out everywhere You yeah. literally stand out on every street uh, So then what, thankfully I'm 52 so I'm like <laughs> So you can kind of hide in nooks and crannies <laughs> behind people <laughs> just See, that's, that's, that's flipping
1: the napoleonic complex i know it's great there are benefits there are some benefits <laughs>
0: there are some benefits because you can hide more easily yeah <laughs> what was the interview process i've heard mm. this from a few pr- people including my family members but like everyone has kind of a varied interview process when mm-hmm. they go through citizenship i feel like some people will get like thrown every question under the mm. sun other people will get, like, two questions, and they're like, wait, I've prepared for this, and yeah. you're only asking me two. So, like, I was curious about, like, what yours was like.
1: Pretty standard until, like, the question around the legal stuff.
0: Oh, okay. So then they're going to dive deeper in that, and it's going to yeah. obviously cause some problems. And,
1: and, you know, the, to be fair to the immigrant officer, he, he was a little bit confused. Okay. Because he was asking why I wasn't arrested. <laughs> oh, how kind of him. <laughs> like, why weren't you arrested? I'm like, how do I even ask this answer
0: this question like I wasn't arrested. Right, so why are you asking me <laughs> why I wasn't arrested? Isn't that a good thing?
1: Yeah. It's, it's very Well, it's confu Well, it's confusing because I was saying that, you know, like there were no charges against me. Right, which is true. Right. And uh and I was also not arrested. Right. So he was confused, kind of like connecting the dots between those two and he kind of raised his voice and and then he was like, it's fine. Oh. Just just like, ooh. It's just the I- it's like gut wrenching, you know? And yeah. you like
0: prepare for that moment for weeks and then you're you know, I spoke to another close friend of mine from Kenya and mm-hmm. she was like, You're in that interview room and any one thing could be the reason they're like, actually no. So, like, depending on how you answer, what you say, like, you just, and depending on the person on the other side, like, you just don't know what kind of day they're having, or Mm -hmm. what they hear and understand, and also we're dealing with all of the biases, like, it's just, I don't feel like I need to ever be fair to immigration officers, (laughs) I don't have that compassion in my heart, because I just think the whole function should be abolished, uh, truly. Yeah, yeah. But like, I don't like that, you know, like to be in that position where you're trying to explain something, Mm -hmm. that you're fine, like now there's no problems there, but it's like, oh yeah, this happened, and then they flip it around and ask, why weren't you arrested? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Like, you just gotta find the one thing that would like, you know, potentially
0: jeopardize this process. Right, depending on how you answer this. And it's just like, uh, what? And that's also a question that wouldn't, inc- like in certain people, would incite like anger. Like, mm-hmm. why are you asking me that? Why do you feel like I'm somebody who should have been arrested? So I was prepared.
1: I was, you know, I've rehearsed this yeah. many times. I hired a lawyer, an immigration lawyer. So yeah. just to deal with all that stuff. Uh, and I, I just answered, you know, the truth and all that. And yes, it worked out. He, he was like framing it as well you you did something wrong and then you did your thing to you know resolve that so we're good yeah easy for you to say right <laughs> and why do I have to justify this <laughs> to you <laughs> I yeah this is how it works just how it works it, it's just a nerve-wracking process so now I'm going I guess like now I'm a citizen so um, less to worry in terms of that but more. To worry about my participation in this political system
0: Mm. and
1: more to worry about like grappling with the fact that I'm I'm literally a citizen of a country that colonized mine Mm -hmm. and, you know, just sort of reconciling all those things.
0: Yeah, and I think that brings us very brilliantly into the next segment. Oh. (laughs) see how I did that. Uh, (laughs) Which is when I ask you, what is no longer your ministry? And I'm curious about your answer just because, like, this part, I mean, this core of the podcast is really exploring a lot of people's different journeys with, like, Mm. self-interrogation, healing, and really looking internally, which I think a lot of us have been able to do more successfully in a pandemic when we can't really get out very much. Yeah. And so I'm kind of curious over the past couple of years of being in this goddamn pandemonium, what are some things that you've been rejecting in order to heal? In the
1: context of the pandemonium panini <laughs> pandemic. The pandemic lovato? Yes. Pandemi. <laughs> I think i really ran out of patience for particularly white men talking over me. Mm. you know because we're we're in zoom all the time these days
0: yes that's where our meetings happen
1: and i'm like you're really interrupting me in this in this format Mm -hmm. you you know being interrupted and very recently i had somebody i was so triggered it it really triggered me to be interrupted by someone and when i interrupted him he was like don't interrupt me
0: oh yeah so so that's Ugh. not,
1: you know, and I've experienced that a number of ways with other people. Yeah. And I'm not usually the person who interrupts people. I, I'm i usually a facilitator. I like to hold space for others. Yeah. You know, if I hold the space, I want everybody to be able to talk. But more recently, I've been, I'm in a position where I'm supposed to have a voice in the table. Mm-hmm. You know, I've I've earned my way in my career where I get to you know, make decisions, uh, you know, speak my my point of view. Yeah. And yet, I'm not given the space that I'm able to give others. So that irritates me. Like, it triggers me like no other. So that being said, like, sort of the thing that uh, I have lost the patience for uh, to explain to others is why that is
0: a big deal. Mm, so it's really the education component of... Yeah. Your feel like you have to then turn around and educate people after you your feelings aren't even considered in the mm-hmm. first place.
1: And I experienced that, you know, remember where where we used to work together? Yeah. I experienced that so much. Like just microaggression after another. Yes. And being told that I don't have enough experience on this. They'll say stuff like, Yes, and you know, as, as if it's an additive to what I was about, what I've just said. Like, you're literally just rephrasing what I just said. Right. You're using the yes and incorrectly. Right, because you're not <laughs> actually anding anything. Yeah, no. You're
0: just saying that what I have said is the right answer, but it's not coming from the right body. Yes.
1: You know, and, and do you think that you saying that you would be better understood? The problem is you weren't listening the first time.
0: Our work exists in the tech space mm-hmm. right and the tech space is overwhelmingly white overwhelmingly male mm-hmm. and no matter what team you're on yeah. you're going to be in rooms with white people and more often than not they yeah. like to talk over yeah. people of color which is you know something I've tracked for a long time in my career something that I try to bring into spaces I look for the people who haven't gotten chances to speak and I try to elevate them so that they will speak in the room over some of these other people. Yeah. But I'm kind of curious about like early days of experiencing this mm-hmm. where you haven't really fully wrapped your mind around, you probably know why it's happening cause like we understand, Yeah. but like it's still, it's still the experience of it that just like constantly hitting you over the head. Yeah. In those moments, do you feel like you were more likely to like shrink? because yeah. I know we're speaking now to like the fact that you have no more patience for this.
1: Yeah, you know, that's interesting. Maybe I've never had patience for it. <laughs> well, okay. Okay, I love this. <laughs> okay, let's put it this way. I guess it depends of where I was in my position in life, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so now I'm kind of in a
0: more quote-unquote leadership yeah. position. It's true, um, that makes a big impact of what you can yeah. say and how you can address it. So, you know, throughout
1: my career, I'm like, I want a seat on the table. Yes. And now I have a seat on the table. Yeah. And that's where things get a little bit more tense. But before that, you know, like I'm working my way up. I just let people talk. And I'm the person who will build empathy as much as possible to anyone. Like, so much so that I was in a position where I had a client and this was... For I'm still ashamed of this, but I had worked with a client uh, for a conservative publishing site.
0: Okay. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Like super
1: duper deep red type of conservative publishing site. And that was my client and being able to just like read the content every day on that website. Yeah. And, you know, uh, deal with his requests and uh, deal with his microaggressions. Yeah. So at that point, like, you know, I'm I'm not personalizing it because we have a client service type of relationship. Right. So I'm I'm not gonna take this personally. You're never gonna know about my life.
0: It's very transactional. Yeah. You're not invested in that relationship.
1: Yeah. And then back in the day, you know, like in the early days of video conferencing you know it was just skype and like phone calls you know like yeah you're, you're in phone bridges i god i miss those just thinking about it like i don't want anyone have to see my face and make judgments preconceived notions about who i am
0: yeah you
1: know uh and and that's the other thing because i can pass because i speak like this i can speak english really well and no one no one ever questions that
0: yeah
1: um but you know now it's like you have to present yourself
0: to others and
1: People can see
0: can see what they Yeah, and they they can see and then make their assumptions from there.
1: Yeah, and they wouldn't do that to a cishet counterpart. They wouldn't do that to another white person. They'll do that to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and you can see and like, and that's the other thing too about video conferencing is like you can see those dynamics with other people, mm-hmm. and so you're like, oh wait, so it's so it's just me you're doing this too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know why. Like, because <laughs> I, I feel like I don't know. Like, I have I have this running joke with like yeah. all my friends of color. I don't think that white people understand that we are we are tracking everything that is happening. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not fooling us. Yeah, you're not slick. Yeah, you're. Actually, being openly racist. Yeah. And we track that. We can track it in nonverbal cues. We can, like, so, like, I just don't understand why they're surprised nowadays when we can call it out plainly and they're Mm -hmm. just like. (gasps) And it's like, how can you defend yourself, though? Because, like, you're being openly racist. You have always been this way. Yeah. You're taking my voice out of this conversation by overpowering me. What, what do you think gives you the right to do that?
1: Yeah. I mean, our hypervigilance is a trauma response as, as a form of self-protection. And they never have to worry about that. And I actually, I actually point that out to people. It's like, the fact that I can notice it and you don't yeah, says a lot. Yeah. And there is a gap there for you. Right. You know, you need to cross that bridge so that you're aware that this is happening. Right. That's as much as I will
0: tell you. Do <laughs> you think in earlier days you would have explained it further? Like... Uh no. Nope. Just you always <laughs> had that like you're like, this is all I can that, offer you. This, this is all I This is never my ministry. <laughs> that's what I mean, like, that's literally what this episode's This shit ain't never been my ministry. <laughs> I mean, I that's like this is the second time I've had a guest. The first one was Justin Pretty, good friend of mine, yeah. who's just like no, I just was never, just never impressed by this
1: I, shit. I'm just realizing in the moment that, you know, I never pandered to that. I've always known it and I've always sort of addressed it in a way where, you know, I'm either going to bust your balls or, you know, get out of my face or I am removing myself from this situation.
0: Right. Which is good because that means like you really wouldn't tolerate yeah the continuation of it. Like if something yeah. happens to you like this can end here. Yeah. Either by me removing myself or mm-hmm. by you changing. Yeah.
1: And where I'm particularly passionate is when it I
0: see it done to others. Yeah. So
1: so that is my ministry where I will go out of my way to defend someone. Like I will I will speak out. That's that's the only situation in which I would,
0: you know, go the extra mile. It's the work for me. Yeah. When like I feel like the work that you've been doing in Kind of healing from this constant microaggression that you've been experiencing is making sure that it's not going to happen in front of you to other people. Yeah, like I feel like that's where your work is. It's not like I, I you know, a lot of the conversation on this podcast is about like what do you have to actively do for yourself in order to keep rejecting it. I feel mm-hmm. like for you, it's like to deal with this kind of triggering experience. I'm just trying to make sure that I can keep my people unharmed as Mm -hmm. much as possible if I'm there. Yes, exactly. And what does that work look like? Like what kinds of things do you have to do?
1: My team right now is very interesting that uh, we have a a good ratio of queer folks. Yeah. The other ratio of that is like cishet folks. Mm -hmm. And because I have some influence on how we treat people in our team or how we deal with the people aspect of the work or even the work itself, Mm -hmm. I will be the first to advocate for, you know, my team. I don't want to use actual examples, but to be honest, like I've just heard comments from some folks who don't understand what it's like to be queer and even like neurodivergent and it's like, it's very ignorant. And I gave that example earlier when we were talking earlier about Sort of the cop out response to like we should be more professional at work. Yes. And not never talk about our political views at work anymore. Right. And and the cop out response is like, yeah, everybody needs to be professional now. Like I'm not gonna be that kind of manager. Right. I I'm never gonna talk like that.
0: And also professionalism is just whiteness. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just coded. Yeah. We yeah, need to yeah. be more professional, you need to be more like the majority, you need to be more white. Subservient. There's nothing unprofessional about showing up with all of your identities. There's nothing unprofessional about that, except for it might make other people who are the majority uncomfortable Mm
1: -hmm.
0: with your presence. Why is that my fault that you have a problem with me? Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. That's not a
0: professionalism issue. That's just racism. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like I I don't know how many times I have that conversation at work where I'm just like, ah. It's like when they used to do interviewing, and they would hire for culture fit.
1: Mm. I don't
0: know why we ever thought that would be a good idea. That's just racism. You just yeah. packaged it in a new phrase. Yeah,
1: I know. <laughs> you know, so so that those are the things that I I kind of tend to do, and also like just like my day to day facilitation, like seeing others being talked over, I won't
0: tolerate that. Yeah, where do you think that comes from for you personally?
1: You know. I think that, so, you know, being, going back to being in the Philippines and I think people try to hear each other out. Part of me being proud of being from where I'm from is the people from different backgrounds being able to cohabit with each other, like Muslim, Christians, indigenous people, you know, and, and sort of the, the struggle to uh, live peacefully with each other. I've seen that and I've seen how People can successfully live with each other, you know, from where I'm from. I've seen what dialogue can do or trialogue if you have like three different groups. I've seen the power of that and, you know, being able to sit down and hear each other out and, you know, not think that the other person is the problem, but agree on a problem together and solve it together. Right. So that's powerful. Yeah. Um, And that informs a lot of my interaction. It's like, when you think the other person is the problem, then we need to shift that point of view.
0: Because you're not going to hear anything they're saying if you automatically no. are settled yeah. that they're the problem. Yeah. That's like listening to hear what you want and not listening to actually respond. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like, exactly. It's listening to react and not listening to respond. Is and, al- what and
1: also, it doesn't de-escalate conflict. No. It escalates conflict, right. in fact. So the way to de-escalate things is to you know take a step back and... Uh, let people sift through their feelings for a bit mm-hmm. and then and then lay it in the table and then give
0: others the opportunity to do the same. In my mind, I'm like, okay, well, this is very much connected to your values. Mm-hmm. Like, I know you, we've been friends for a few years now, and, like, I always, I've always, i always known you as someone with very strong values, and, like, you live your values, you speak your values, and you try to move within I those so. values. <laughs> like, I've, I've seen it. I, I've, I truly feel like you're spirit is genuine and I and I love those people I bring those people into my home yeah. I like those are the people that I if they drop in like <laughs> I'm so happy to see you because it's not work to be with you yeah. it's very much I'm at peace because I, I know where you're coming from and so I can now hearing more of your background I can see how that translates like you've seen actual representation of people who are coming at an issue from so many different sides but having that conversation, and being able to live at peace amongst each other.
1: Yeah, it's not easy.
0: It's right? not I mean. easy, yeah. but it has happened. Yeah. And I feel like in this country, people stay with their own people. Yeah. And so like when they interact with people who are different, who have different values, or it's always a clash that we don't typically see settled here, yeah. mostly because the dominant culture is not there to listen. Yeah. And so I'm curious for you. Sorry, this is a very long mm. point that I was trying to make, but I, I'm curious, like the longer you live here and the further you're you're away from home and mm. like those values that you saw in real life, is there anything that you do to remind yourself like this kind of peaceful cohabitation can happen? And that's mm-hmm. why I do the things that I do. That's why I want to facilitate the conversations in the way that makes sure everybody is heard. Mm. Like how do you keep that optimism for what could be? Amongst mm-hmm. like these spaces where like people don't yeah. let everybody have their place.
1: Yeah. That's been particularly hard during the pandemic. I think that every time I go home, I do restore a little bit of that soul back. Yeah. You know, it's like my fountain of soul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have aspired to have the ability to be able to go home every year. But the first time I went home, the whole time I was here was like after five years. Yeah, That's such a long
0: time. That's such a long time.
1: And you know, I'm just like grabbing pieces from my my nostalgia and like from stories from back in the day. Like it's almost like I there is like a version of me that just froze in time that I'm still like yeah. gathering resources from mm-hmm. <laughs> that after five year trip the first time was very replenishing for me that it kept me going.
0: Yeah, you like um, recharged there.
1: Yeah, but the last one was not great because yes. like, that's when like I had to go home because my father passed away. But there was still access yeah. to my home and, and being able to replenish some of that. So these days, it's been, you know, it's just like reconnecting with friends, and also just reading stories from back home. I really try to stay connected as much as possible. Yeah. And, you know, looking for opportunities to speak in my dialect is really helpful. Like, you know, when I, when I see my mom, it's like, you know, obviously like mm-hmm. it's home. I think my friend would call it diasporic blues, which oh, is yeah. that longing and like the pining for uh, being able to go home. And the other side of it is I think I'm pretty solid in my core about, like, who I am. And also in addition to the person that I've become by being an immigrant. Yeah. You know, doing all these things that I was able to do in this country. Like, those are the two things that I can trust
0: myself. The strength of that, I guess. Yeah. There's just so much that you've brought here from your life in the Philippines, that you've made your home here in a way that's so uniquely different from everybody else? Well, I would like to
1: be able to participate more in the community. Previously, I was resistant because of the whole, like, I wasn't able to fully identify with... Yeah, Filipino Americans. When I first came here, and I think I want to be more now that I am actually an American.
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like official, a fish, official. Fish. You're official. What does that mean to you, really? Like, does that do you <laughs> feel American? Like, what about it?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. I care about this society now. You know, yeah, I, I I live in it, and my loved ones live in it. Yeah, and you know, I've built a community in it, so I care about all of this and i care about filipino americans who like honestly like i hear it every time like that sense of feeling lost in a way or, or like not being able to interpret what they're feeling in this society
0: yeah like
1: i have empathy for them and i want to be a person who can like i said to you earlier like hold their hand and guide them home and feel the things that i've felt and you know have that click in because they will click in it will just naturally happen yeah Um, but the road there is go there and see for yourself like Mm -hmm. where you come from i don't know if you saw that
0: episode of high on the hog oh no but (laughs) i started high on the hog yeah and wow what a tremendous that
1: first episode where he retraces the steps to that point where it's a somatic experience you feel it in your body
0: there's so many connections that would happen for them when they get there to, mm-hmm. to things that they know here, mm-hmm. but it's like you don't understand the depth of history that yeah. is there, and all of those things kind of click as they get those pieces. I love that way you're describing it because I've felt it in a lot of ways coming from here, going to Nigeria, after having reading Nigerian literature, stories from my dad. Going there, seeing things, and being like, oh, I didn't even know that was part of it. Oh, that's part of me. It's just like, Mm -hmm. there's nothing like actually being physically at home where your ancestors...
1: Yeah, I think there's like memory, you know? Yeah. We have, I, I really do believe in a collective memory, and you don't know why you feel a certain way. But, you know, you're either carrying trauma or joy too but i think like what's important for us especially for immigrant children is to experience more of the joy so i always talk to my mom about this like the whole sacrifice stuff yeah i i i'm trying to encourage her to retire and i'm like mom i think it's time for you to enjoy life that's it's very big, hard and and the thing that um our elders need to unlearn is to you know unstuck themselves from the sacrifice mindset yeah. And access more of the joy. We have a bit more access to joy yes. because of the stuff they've done. Yes. And so I want to share that to my elders. I want to share. We have that wisdom of joy that we could share with them. So I'm trying yeah. to.
0: Yeah. That's going to be a difficult process for yeah. immigrant parents. Yeah, you know? for sure. Right? They made all of these quote unquote sacrifices. And not only that, it's like they've seen. Like, I feel like the mode that my parents, especially my dad, will get stuck in is, like, this idea that you really have to suffer before you can enjoy. Yeah. So, like, regardless of what state you are, it's, like, well, why are you just, like, indulging so much? Why are you playing? Why are you, you know, going out for meals that you could just cook at home? All these (laughs) things that, like, at the end of the day, Dad, like, what's the big deal? I can (laughs) do this. Like, my life allows for this now. Yeah. But it's, like, but also it's been ingrained in me. I am, like... Currently trying to unlearn this idea, like you know the concept we all have. You have Mm -hmm. to work hard before you deserve rest. That's not true. Mm -hmm. You deserve rest when you're tired. (laughs) You just deserve it. You just deserve. It's just yours. You Um, can also
1: iterate, (laughs) like right. (laughs) You can have it in small chunks, like suffer a little bit and have a little bit of
0: joy, and suffer a little bit. Right. You can break it. You could break it up, or you could just rest all the time. I am not mad at you. (laughs) I would love to be kept. I am excited for that day when it comes. But all of this to say is like to teach your mom, like, oh, you can retire and you can just have joy yeah. for the rest of your life. It's like, well, I haven't known that yet.
1: Yeah, 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 it's 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 a bridge to cross for sure.
0: Yeah. yeah, in our last segment, which is I'm not sorry, this is where we talk about what we do to escape responsibility, escape the work of really healing ourselves, just doing things that make us feel restored, where we're just like, I'm not sorry that I'm putting all of this to the side, I'm gonna mm. do, this right here and what would you say is your escape in that way
1: yeah i'm not sorry about posting pictures from the past yeah because they give me you know nostalgia is uh, a thing i get something out of i'm not sorry about i guess when i'm feeling a little bit selfish about cocooning and diving deep into any one of my special interests or hobbies or whatever. Yeah. uh, No one can relate to. You know, I'm really into like fantasy shows and series like The Witcher. Oh, okay. I've been watching, like I love sci-fi stuff like Dune. Or Yeah. So, you know, little things like that, little indulgences. And also like honestly food is like, yeah. My big vice this whole pandemic. I love food. I, I love it being delivered to my house. Honestly, like, like <laughs> you know, I, I have so much guilt about takeout. Why? I mean, it's a combination of things. I think, like, you know, I, I know it's healthier for me to cook my own food and have food at home. But yeah, like, I just love it. I love the convenience of it, like, arriving, like, yeah. just pushing some buttons. I'm so good at ordering takeout now. Oh wow! I <laughs> mastered the skill. You know, I know which platform this restaurant's at. I just you got into that. Point. I know which ones I have to call directly. Like I've I've just
0: optimized
1: my my takeout workflow.
0: But that's good because <laughs> food is so transformative. Like food can take you to different mindsets and like I don't know. I find for me personally, I find food to be a non problematic vice uh-huh. because it's like for one thing, you should be feeding yourself anyway yeah so like feed yourself (laughs) it's better than not feeding yourself so if it's like the choice between cooking and takeout is easier get your takeout yeah secondly i used to have so much guilt with eating that like if my problem is eating that's that's good like i need nutrients i'd rather be do that than like then refrain from food as punishment, which is what I used to do yeah, yeah. a lot of the times for like bad mental health places. But then it's like, also food helps you get out of bad mental health places, because you need food to like process things correctly.
1: Sometimes and like food is what gets me out of bed. Sometimes, listen, when you gotta get up and you're like,
0: but I could get a croissant <laughs> if you get out of bed, boom, suddenly I'm working. Yeah, like- I,
1: I live for my coffee runs, honestly.
0: And there's nothing wrong with that. There's yeah. nothing wrong with finding enjoyment From a buttery croissant (laughs) and a lovely, like, coffee, just, like, warm and comforting. I'm into it, so. I love it. Well, what's yours? (laughs) No one's ever asked me. Uh. No one's ever asked me on this this podcast. Um, My escape. Ooh, I have several forms of escape, and it just depends on if I, if it's an escape for me to, like, um. What is it? Almost like I sometimes I need to kick my own ass to get out of my own feelings. Mm -hmm. So, because I I'm a very self-critical person, so I'm actively working on like my positive Mm self-talk. And so when I can feel that person, like that shadow coming out, starting to criticize me, I'm like, time for you to like hit the treadmill and just Mm -hmm. run. Because like running for me is a very freeing experience. Usually is the most easeful way for me to meditate because then I can just kind of be like focus on your legs going through that motion and then I can kind of disconnect from a lot of other stuff so that like lately physical exercise is that escape or then and then there's also the opposite so I have the two extremes I like to really like just stay cocooned like in a comforter Mm -hmm. on my couch watch trash tv yeah. like all of those terrible dating reality shows oh, i get so caught up in it and also and then i and then it's like and then i spend the whole time like looking at it with a critical lens yeah and which is just terrible for reality <laughs> tv so it's like i'm sitting here watching reality tv and i'm just like why is it always the black woman that never finds a success in this show they always they always treat her like she's not obviously the prettiest one i
1: i, I watched the uh, actually started watching the bachelor franchise during yeah, the pandemic same
0: it's like what it's what? it will it reveals everything that we already know just yeah. in plain sight which yeah. makes you wonder why haven't white people cut on yet i still don't get it
1: they're just so ignorant <laughs> like you just like the amount of labor that pocs do in this show in particular it, it astounds me astounding it like as. Like the the Michelle Young season, for example. I watched it. Oh my god. Like, just the shit she has to do and put up with. And like super basic cishet guys. Super duper
0: basic. (laughs) uh, Good example of what you were (laughs) speaking to on this episode. Like, white guys standing up speaking over her for her. When she was trying to explain what it was like to experience her life from her perspective. I was like, how is this man even thinking he should be involved? Oh, In this portion of the show. Oh, you know me. I'm the type of person who can find... <laughs> I have something to say about pretty much everything. <laughs> I do. And so sometimes it's really about me spending a lot of time by myself just, like, talking through all of those things. Whether it's, like, me journaling some of it. Yeah. Thinking about yeah. some of it. You know, texting my... I, I tap into my community a lot. Yeah. I would say my biggest form of escape is my community. Yeah. And so, like, tapping to my community, trying to, like, piece together some of the challenges I'm facing or, like just like thoughts that I've had, you know, just the random like, oh my God, I just figured out that you know, our entire system for working is is the slavery system. You know, (laughs) shit like that, (laughs) where you're just like, ah, and it comes to mind and then, you know, it's plaguing me, so I have to put it somewhere. So I'm like, guys, help me understand this. And so, yeah, I think my escapes tend to be like, really, (laughs) conversations like this, like just really unpacking, all the things that happen to pop into my head in various formats, whether it's exercise, conversation, or just like deep restorative resting. Yeah. All day. I'm very extreme about my escapes. I, like I'm I like, if I'm gonna escape I'm gonna really escape. <laughs>
1: it's a very Gemini.
0: Of you. I'm a very Gemini Gemini. Um, <laughs>
1: I love that though, I love that. I, I think that your bandwidth to be able to engage in variety is pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, I think I have to I have to keep things moving yeah. in a lot of the ways. I, I feel like my attention span is extremely short. And even if I love an activity, I'm like, I don't wanna do this activity today. <laughs> so now I've gotta replace it with another activity that's yeah. gonna serve that purpose of release. And mm-hmm. I think that's been, it's been a better way to think about life in the pandemic because a lot more things become really fun and like new and you know you just learn i mean i was gardening over the pandemic i was cooking i was cycling for the first time running doing all kinds of yoga just like any kind of hobby
1: do you know (laughs) that hobby you know i should give you some feedback about that which is that you know the activity that you've put in in the pandemic you know that you've shared is seen by others and inspires others too like that's why we bought a peloton by the way oh my (laughs) gosh! i did get that referral (laughs) yes but but just saying like if you've had that effect on you know on me in particular like i'm sure you have that ripple effect in others because like that's you know that's visible like that's you showing up too
0: yeah that's you know thank you for saying that i i have recently come across a lot of people who have said like my posting my co-worker just told me the other day my posting about my running journey through december mm-hmm. inspired her to start running mm-hmm. and so she's setting like small goals See? for herself and and i love to hear that you know it's it's great all of these things <laughs> are put in place for me to like enjoy life yeah i think i yeah. for a long time not really properly managed properly it just didn't know how to manage my mental illnesses now that I'm older I know what activities will help engage the right things to get me on track and stuff so I'm glad that it's helpful for people and but ultimately
1: it's helpful for you
0: either way I gotta do it (laughs) I'm looking out for me first and then y'all can (laughs) y'all can learn what you learn but I gotta take care of me first so Yeah. yeah it is I think it is good it's a lesson in taking care of me so Well, thank you so much for joining me on the pod, having this conversation, joining me in Oakland on a beautiful day. Thanks for having me. This podcast is a labor of love, and too often, labor by black women happens without compensation. If anything in this episode resonated, and if you're taking anything along with you today, please consider donating to our page or sending funds via venmo all information is available on that's no longer my ministry.com also wherever you're listening to this episode please consider subscribing and tuning in to next week's community release bye fam